0: Hello everyone! Welcome to the podcast. We'll talk with Sudhanya, and I'm your host, Sudhanya. If you think that you're not creative or not creative enough, or if you want to take your creativity to the next level, you have to hear today's episode. My guest today is born in Britain, raised in South Africa, and resident of the Netherlands. Nowhere and everywhere. Or his home. David Chislett is a published author, poet, musician, artist, and an entrepreneur for over 25 years. The link that joins everything in his life together is creativity. By sharing what he knows about this human capacity, he aims to improve the world, one presentation at a time. He has been on stage in one capacity or another since 1980. He brings experience, research, humor, and passionate energy to every presentation he does. When he writes a poem, he solves a problem. How to express a specific feeling in a way that will be recognized and empathized with. And every time he trains, speaks, or coaches, he aims to do the same thing. Solve or help solve the problem that lies in front of his client he's forever curious, which leads him to always ask why and how. As a result, his career has enabled him to join dots across many worlds. I really had a lot of fun talking to David today and I hope you have fun too. Enjoy. Enjoy. So, you mentioned from want to be a rock star to a suburban dad. Yeah. So, before we get into the transition and transformation, I re- I'm really curious about your life as a musician.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm the youngest of five children, mm-hmm. and I grew up in a house awash with music. Uh, my mother's a chorister, so there was a lot of classical choir music, and my brothers and sisters were just mad about music. So mm-hmm. there was always a record on in the house or the radio on really loud. And I think somewhere quite early on in my life I... That just landed really well. Really well, I don't know, really powerfully. Yeah. Um, and you know, from the age of 10 I started writing poetry. Wow. And so by the time I got to being a teenager it had occurred to me that the poetry could actually be lyrics for songs. And in my last couple of years of high school, we moved from one city to another, where I reconnected with an old friend from primary school who had also moved to that city. And he was a musician. He could play a whole bunch of instruments. And he had a guitar, and he taught me how to hack around on a guitar and play bass. And we formed a band
0: wow.
1: uh, and wrote several songs based on my poems. I mean, we never did anything with the band, but uh, that—that's where it all pretty much started. Wow. Um, yeah.
0: So it's in the family, in the whole. Uh, you, you s- even like since ten, you were into poetry. How did that happen? Like, what inspired <laughs> you, and w- what was your topic then? Around.
1: Well, it was kind of, it was kicked off by my my class teacher, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who. In introducing poetry as a study at school to us, oh, really? conducted an exercise of like, well, one of the many different hallmarks you can have for poetry is rhyme, and so she taught us about rhyme schemes and what that looked like, and and so she showed us, you know, a b a b or a a b b, and right. what does a sonnet look like, and the whole idea of you know writing a word down with the first with the letter on each line, and then each line of your poem starts with the next letter in the word. And, you know, just a whole bunch of kind of poetic um devices. Right. As a way for us to then in the future have a frame of reference for analysing or enjoying poetry. But for our homework, she said you need to choose one of those things that I've shown you and write a poem to bring to school the next day right. so that we can so you can feel what it looks feels like to do it. And I wrote my one and I was like, Well, that was fun. So I wrote another one and I wrote another one and I wrote another <laughs> one and uh That was kind of it. I just didn't really stop. I think I took 10 poems back to school the next day and pretty much (laughs) from then onwards I've had a book somewhere where I've been writing the poetry that I've written anywhere else into and and kept it pretty much all.
0: Wow. So you have a collection since 10 years old and it was a sudden discovery of talent.
1: Well, I don't know about talent but it was certainly a discovery of interest. I, I found it quite easy to to do, Uh, mainly because at the age of 10, I had a reading age of 16 or 17. I was a voracious reader, so I had a large vocabulary. I was a very precocious, annoying child, I think. (laughs) Um, So So what would you
0: uh, write about? uh,
1: Those poems back then, I can't tell you. I cannot remember. But the stuff I have from the year after that, when I was 11, 12, um, I mean, some of it quite often obvious rip-offs of pop music that was mm-hmm. on the radio. So I've got one which is a very bad imitation of The Hurting from Tears for Fears <laughs> okay. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's surprising or not because I've never spoken to another poet who's been writing, who wrote from very young to much later right. in life. But the themes haven't changed that much. Mm. A lot of it's about identity, who am I, where do I fit? Right. um a lot of it's quite sort of
0: yeah for me it's only last seven years, so i d- I can't <laughs> relate with your like like inborn talent <laughs> and, yeah. and about like let's go back to the rock star. Yeah. so what was like your dream like and like you had a band so
1: we had a band and you know when you're in a band you're always hoping that you're gonna get a song on the radio get a record deal become famous you know be able to do ludicrous things and not have to work ever in your life um (laughs) how did that go badly um played a few gigs didn't get a record deal had a demo tape or two played on the radio
0: yeah
1: but i you know my musical tastes were far from mainstream, so the bands I was playing in were even further from mainstream. Right. And and in retrospect, what I realized decades later was that, I don't know, I can't honestly speak for the rest of the people involved, but I was not putting anywhere near the required effort into the mechanics of being a musician uh, to, to stand any chance of sticking my head above water, You know, above all the other hundreds of millions of teenagers around the world. Who also want to be rock stars okay um i i was a big believer in the fundamental myths of rock and roll that it could happen to anybody and it's got nothing to do with talent and it's just you know you got to look cool and be cool and it'll happen
0: so if you had to give a suggestion to your younger self who was wanting to be a rock star what would you like your top three suggestions now
1: Well, I'd actually practice every day, even if it's just 30 minutes, but have your hands on that guitar every single day. I learned to play guitar in 1987. If I had done just that, I would be a really good guitarist by now, just technically. Forget the creativity, like whether I could
0: Hmm.
1: be in the Rolling Stones or what have you, but just from a technical perspective, I would have a superb command of that instrument. Discipline. Yeah, and I don't. You know, I'm a a hacker. I play badly. I have no grasp of music theory, and I cannot play by ear.
0: Well, you are a musician, and uh, you have recorded numbers, so I don't know. Maybe I I need to hear, like, (laughs) I think you're being very modest, maybe. No, I'm
1: not. Uh, That's the thing. That's the mistake everyone makes, because that's how really good musicians also speak. They say, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. They can really play. I can't. (laughs) You know, anything I have done has taken a huge amount of effort, and because that effort was not sustained over longer periods of time, mm-hmm. in between the blocks of effort, the skills have fallen away. Because mm-hmm. that's what happens. You know? right. It's the same with language. Right. Learn a language, don't use it, mm. you lose it. And yeah. it's the same with music. So
0: That's what's happening with my Dutch.
1: Right. <laughs> so, and that's what happened to, you know, there were periods in my life where I was prepared to say, yeah, I'm a bass player. Because I was playing almost every day and I was gigging and I was doing stuff. I don't say that anymore because I don't do that. Right. I can't actually even, the last time I played my guitar was a month ago. And before that was probably two and a half years.
0: So you do jamming still or no. like you totally left, no. uh, well, light. you can't
1: jam, right? Cause jamming is spontaneous improvisation yeah. with another. Yeah. Which means you have got to be able to feel or know where this is going. Yeah. I can't do that.
0: No, you need to be prepared. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you moved on to another venture after music?
1: Well, no. I stayed within music, but yeah. I stopped pretending to be a rock star and decided to be a rock star on the sidelines and became a music journalist and a band manager.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, what, what does that mean?
1: Which one? The band manager?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, typically, a manager of a, of a band is the person who takes care of business. Yeah. So, anything that has to do with the income that an artist earns is organized by somebody else. So you book gigs, you take care of publicity, and you take care of business. Right. Record deals, distribution, you know, making sure that the rights are protected and that you have a publisher to look after the earnings and, and all of those kinds oh, of wow. things. Yeah. Uh,
0: did you have fun in that?
1: I did. P- possibly too much fun. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to disclose that right now. Um, but I also, again five or ten years after I'd stopped managing bands, realized that on a certain level I wasn't really a band manager. I was more of like a road manager. I was the guy, organized the gigs, went on the road, made sure everything actually happened. When it came to the management and the monetization of the intellectual property of the artists, I didn't know enough and I didn't really know what to do and I didn't do it. No. And what I now understand about the music business is is that is it. Hmm. Your artist needs to be writing songs like people eat breakfast, right. and they need to be registered and dealt with by a publisher, and they need to be leveraged. Hmm. Um, it's it's great being a good live act and touring and and and, and getting the odoric groupies and and all that kind of fame and adulation stuff. But if you want to stay in the music business, your music has to earn money, mm-hmm. and there are very specific ways that the intellectual property that music represents is able to earn money. And that needs to be taken care of and taken care of with great care and okay. looked after. Oh wow. And that I just never really got into until I wasn't actually managing bands anymore.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like how how long that how long did you Work as a manager or band manager for
1: I worked in sort of two significant bursts as as a manager. The first was from approximately nineteen ninety six until about two thousand and one and then again from about two
0: thousand and ten to two thousand and thirteen. Right. Um, and And this is all in South Africa. All in South Africa, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, because of my own Proclivities. I'm typically choosing to manage bands that probably aren't going to become commercial successes.
0: Interesting. Why do you think so? You did that.
1: Well, because if I reflect on all the bands that I did manage, they were all really good. I mean, they wrote good songs and they were technically accomplished musicians. Yeah. But they were underdogs. You know, they weren't Mm -hmm. part of the established wave of what was popular and. And I always thought, well, this makes, this is more interesting. Yeah. Because for me, it wasn't just about the money. It was about the music and about everything that went with it. And so I was also managing with my heart and not with my head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was choosing to get involved with, with musical units that statistically speaking were unlikely to become mainstream successes. And when you're a manager and your money comes from a percentage of what the artist earns if you want to earn a living, they've got to be actually pretty damn successful.
0: And popular in the sense in the mainstream. Because the artists you worked with, they were
1: We didn't get daytime radio play. Let's put it that way.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, uh, you know, as a popular artist, you make huge chunks of change from airplay, from the royalties that accrue from broadcast. And then after that, you stand a chance of making money from physical sales. Right. uh, Or from streaming or what have you. Um, whereas our income was traditionally only derived from sh- playing shows. Right. So there's an hours manpower limit.
0: Yeah. Like this is an industry which I have no, no, no idea about. So, like, maybe this is a dumb question. Um, now, like, the current scene with music is maybe totally different from like in early. Uh, 2000 or late 90s yes because right now there is no one single rock celebrity there are so many celebrities uh, you have uh, social media you have your own independent Spotify uh, albums yeah. do you think like life is easier now or life is tougher now for it's musicians harder.
1: it's way harder yeah? um, but for different reasons for why it was hard in the past yeah. so in the past it was hard because there were gatekeepers yeah. and they would make decisions that had very little to do with you or your music very much to based on trend and money and, and, and their ideas about what was good and bad Right. now you don't need any of those people you can go into a studio or hell, you can just do it in your, in your bedroom record mm. an album, put it out on Spotify and what have you yeah. and it's out and it's being played around right. the world but because there are no gatekeepers, there are also no tastemakers, which means how am I going to find your music when I live halfway around the world from you and I've never heard from you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so how do you cut through the clutter? Right. I mean, up even f- eight or nine years ago, there were up to 10 million tracks on iTunes that no one's ever played, not once.
0: Well, like Interesting, uh, like, because I have no idea about it. But like, I'm going off track, back Mm -hmm. to you, David. So you were a band manager, like after being a musician, and then what brought you to being a suburban dad? What brought you to Netherlands?
1: Well, after I kind of jumped ship out of the music industry, I focused very much on getting my own writing out into the world. I focused on myself as an artist. Okay. And I published a book of short stories, I published a book of poetry, I published a business advice book for musicians, trying to like, okay, this is all I learned. Whoop-a.
0: Consulting, consulting yeah, musicians. Yeah, and I did workshops yeah, and all wise. that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: And then um, I just, everything I was busy with kind of came to a natural end and I had some ideas, but I knew it would take a long time to float. I was pretty Broken, was tired, and just quite disillusioned, and possibly actually burnt out. And I was like, you know what? I need a break. I'm going to take a break. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as one does, I sold everything I owned and bought a one-way ticket to London and took off.
0: Wow, (laughs) very bold step. (laughs) With
1: with no real plan whatsoever. A friend of mine, an old high school friend of mine, organised me a job in a pub in the middle of nowhere in 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 England. And I worked there for three or four months and then I went traveling the world. Wow. And I didn't get very far before I ended up in Amsterdam where I met the woman who's now the wife and the mother of my two children. And that was the end of that. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, in very broad strokes how I ended up here.
0: Right. And do you yeah. like it here in Netherlands? I do. Yeah.
1: You know, I was born in, in the UK, in England, um, yeah. in, in the harbour town of Portsmouth. We left the UK... 1974, which if you know your economic history, is a pretty bleak time in the UK. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why there are so many British expats in Australia, New Zealand, Canada and South Africa of my generation. Because the UK was defaulting on its World Bank loans. Economically it was screwed. The coal miner strikes. Everything that led to Thatcher getting into power was unrolling Right. right then. And then we and went back to South Africa because my mother had actually grown up there even mm-hmm. though she's also a very British stock and that was just seen as a kind of safer option for the family than staying in the UK which considering we moved to South Africa just before the 1976 uprisings and uh, you know into the apartheid state and everything that came with that um. yeah, that's that's... So I'm a classic third-generation kid. Right. I was born into one culture, but grew up into in another, and as a result, I don't feel like I belong to either. Still. Still, because now I live in a third culture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow! Like, the that. So let's get into even a bit more real talks. Um, what does that mean for you now, like? you mentioned that you belong to like nowhere and also everywhere yeah. I, I read that statement in your introduction like how does that feel is it a good feeling or is it a chaotic feeling
1: no it is far from chaotic feeling because yeah. it's not dependent on anyone or anything else yeah. you know so um and that has both its ups and downs so what i realized is that my happiness is not dependent on where I live Mm
0: -hmm.
1: all the way through to what culture surrounds me. In that sense, I am quite a sort of self-propelled unit. Mm -hmm. Um, Having grown up, divorced from the culture that I was born in, into a culture that didn't and still does not accept me, Mm -hmm. um, I sought fulfillment in ways that I could exercise some kind of control over and, and sought to actively identify with things instead of having those natural identifiers...
0: Not a natural belonging, but like created your own belonging. Right,
1: right. Yeah. So I now know exactly how to do that. So you can dump me anywhere in the world, and within three months I'll have found a way to be in that place.
0: You mean adaptability? Yeah. But like, okay. And do you feel also belonged here, like in the Netherlands, or like it's also in your own way?
1: Well... You know, South Africa was way, way, way long time back, you know, a Dutch trading property slash colony. Yeah. And even though the Dutch descendants who still live there don't identify themselves as Dutch at all and haven't for Mm -hmm. probably a couple of hundreds of years, there's a lot of things, Calvinistic, religious kind of things Mm -hmm. which are carried over, which I see here and I kind of go, oh, yeah, that's known to me, that's Mm -hmm. known to me. And, of course... Afrikaans is a
0: Dutch, derivative. Dutch yeah,
1: yeah yeah. it's on the same language tree it's just been heavily operated on um, so there's a familiarity right. but at the same time you know I've been here now for nearly nine years and mm-hmm. there's I'm not in any danger of being mistaken for Dutch or mistaking myself for being Dutch and I don't think I'll ever feel that way no and I'm okay with that <clears throat> I don't I don't lie awake thinking, oh my God, what a. Doesn't so you still me.
0: intend to continue to live in the Netherlands? Yeah. And still not feeling like, yeah, I'm Dutch. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because I've lived in other countries mm. quite happily without ever feeling like I was a
0: Needed a to native. belong, right? Yeah. yeah. I also feel like, actually, by right, the that, like that about Netherlands, I am also here for eight years. I don't know the language that well yet. I don't know why. <laughs> um yeah lack of discipline and practice i guess like what you mentioned and also i don't feel the need to in fact i definitely don't want to say that like hey i am this westerner because i'm very proud of my eastern roots as well but i also like the western ways so i don't know so i can (laughs) relate with you (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah cool so Now you are this suburban dad. Tell me what do you like. Tell me about your current work uh, or like current uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Because you left being a musician. What I understand also, you still are a poet Mm -hmm. um, and uh, other initiatives. But you are also, for example, a keynote speaker. Yeah. I think that's your main...
1: Yeah, that's my main bag. That's the right. thing I'd, I'd most want to yeah, do. Yeah, tell,
0: uh, tell, tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. I call myself a creativity activator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, having spent so long in the creative industries, as well as being a creative myself, um, and having researched the topic a lot, I know a mm-hmm. lot about the mechanics of creativity. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, it feels like some kind of weird, magical, genius-related activity. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, it's so everyday Mm -hmm. And all of us are so creative on a day-by-day basis that we don't recognize it as such. It's just a given. And as a result, we've come to sort of deify high creatives, like rock stars or painters or Hollywood actors. And um, the sort of day-to-day accepted definition of creativity is that. Right. And so you, at work finding a a completely unexpected way to solve a pressing problem is just practical business skills. Right. But neurologically speaking, it's creativity. Mm -hmm. It's igniting the same three areas across your brain that a freestyle jazz musician will activate when they are improvising.
0: Wow. That's a beautiful outlook.
1: Yeah. But we just don't consider that creativity. And so I've made it my mission in life to, To basically share with as many people as humanly possible that that is what it is. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, you can apply that capacity to anything. Which means that you can change the way you think, the way you behave, the way you react. Because you have this ability to synthesize things, to make new from existing dots. Or to go somewhere else with the dots, rearrange the order they're in so that something appears new or is experienced as new. Because I believe that creativity is probably the only way in the way that the world works currently in the East and in the West, capitalism or not, that as an individual, you can generate options for yourself and actually have real
0: choice. Right. Self-generated.
1: Yeah. Because when someone says to you you can have A or B, that's right. not a choice.
0: No. Mm-hmm. So
1: creativity gives you the capacity to generate options f- from which you can then choose. Uh,
0: it, it's sinking in. Um, like right now, if I go with what the society offers, like, yeah, either you are an engineer, if you want to be a, like, a, like a successful professional, either you are super good at creativity and you are a great painter or a great singer or a great artist on or you, ha- you are an engineer, doctor, or a lawyer, or something like that. Yeah. But people who are having these kind of professions, which are like, you know, a bit more corporate-ish and stuff, they don't relate themselves as creatives. No. Or if you are not in the top 1% of the artist uh, clan, then you don't relate to yourself as creatives. Yeah. And in that sense, we all have this self-limiting belief that we are not creative. That's... Yeah. What you are challenging—that we all are—and that's a limiting belief. Yes. Oh, that's very interesting. So, how do you do that? Like, you work with companies and, like, I think, leaderships.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and just individuals, anybody. Um, yeah. Because literally, it's about acknowledging that you are,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's very easily proved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's when last did you? have a route plan to go to work and then, I don't know, you missed the train or you're in Amsterdam and the bridge was up or there were roadworks. Right. In that moment, what do you do? You go, mm, okay, mm, you assess your options, you look at what you do, what you don't know, yeah. and you go, right, I've got a new answer. Mm-hmm. That's creative. Yeah. It's boring, everyday humdrum, joining of the dots creative, right. rationally based, but it's still creative. Right. Um yeah. In essence, that is exactly what Pablo Picasso did when he came up with the whole idea of cubism. He just said, wow, look at that. There are three dimensions. And if I stand here, the woman looks like this. If I stand here, she looks like this. And if I stand here, I'm going to represent all three of those views on a flat plane for the first time ever. Right. Yeah. And everyone's like, wow, look at that. Up until that point, everybody was very concerned with using perspective and illusion to make a 2D representation look exactly like a 3D. Mm-hmm. And Picasso just went, nah, I'll just stick them next to each other.
0: Yeah, right. Wow. That's all he did. Right. Like, Any it's fool could think of that,
1: <laughs> right? Um, but he did it. Yeah. And he owned it and he went through with it and he nuanced it and he mastered it.
0: Like, then, like, my next question would be, like, yes, you're challenging us and telling us that we all are creatives. What's the benefit out of it? What? What? Why do we need to know that we are creatives?
1: Because I think, unfortunately, mm. in modern life, many of us feel trapped and mm-hmm. unhappy and unfulfilled and uncertain. Mm. And, like, we don't really have much choice. Yes. And... I've come to believe that that's because most of us don't believe we're creative. We don't believe Mm. we have the capacity to change anything.
0: Mm. Right. Right. We have to have this job and forever do it, even if I don't like it. And
1: I'm not a genius, so I can't do that.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Look, I mean, high creatives don't help by talking about what they do in mystical, mythical terms. Mm -hmm and if they were brutally honest they would just say look you know I get up at 5 o'clock every morning and I do this for 3 hours every day mm. and I've actually just become so good at this I don't have to think about it so while I'm physically doing it my brain's somewhere else making free associations and this stuff happens, that's what happens right. not well you know I had a dream and ah. it's, yeah. I, uh, it's quite tiresome sometimes listening to famous creatives talk about how they do what they do when I know neurologically speaking they're it's not that they're lying exactly but they're just they're choosing to tell only one fraction of the story
0: right so you're saying that yeah it's not always the the talent or like the inborn or like the mysterious or the woo-woo part which does exist yes but it's only half of the story that big uh, creatives say because there is also a lot of discipline there is a lot of practice dedication structure action taking going into it yep
1: all the stuff that nobody associates with creativity.
0: That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's enough to make you believe in conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how do you approach with your clients about it? Like, like to bring them to this knowing and to, like, you know, spin that changeover. Yeah. How do you go about it?
1: Well, I mean, I have... A, a lot of things but the, the the one thing i always try and do in some way or other is get people to admit that something they did was creative okay you know so i will say to some i'll ask a room of people how many have used i've ever used an ordinary knife that you eat with mm-hmm. to tighten a screw in a door
0: mm-hmm.
1: or in any in anything
0: i haven't done <laughs> right
1: i mean you know actually it's yes. one thing that probably almost everybody <laughs> from any culture has ever done yeah <laughs> It's like, right, so what you just did there is what's known technically as a bend. Mm. You took a device that was designed and made for a specific purpose and you bent it to another use. Right. That's a creative act. Yeah. It's not what a knife is for. How dare you use it to tighten a screw? Wow. But you did. Because you were able to, because you're a human being, look at it, Mm. look at the pattern and the shape of it, look at the problem that you had, visualize the tool needed to fix it, spot the similarities between these totally unrelated pieces of equipment, and Mm. push the one into the use of the other.
0: Wow.
1: Which is pretty much what happened with Agile and with Scrum. Come out of one environment and I was like, hey, look at this, this would work really well in a normal business environment, not just a software development one.
0: Wow. I see that, I see that. it's It's a bend. Right.
1: And so that's one category of creative activity that we all pretty much do.
0: Wow, that's a pretty like, you know, rational way of viewing creativity and I love it. Like yeah. like to also it's very freeing to realize that hey, maybe for example, I like to write poetry, but this belief that you gave me now will also help me to do I don't know, something else also.
1: Well, it's no coincidence that when you often meet, like, let's call them professional painters or singers, and you have a conversation, and you later find out that they do, like, I don't know, macramé or Mm. origami, or they they actually are also musicians, Mm. or they are also photographers, or Mm -hmm. they dabble with making films, or they are also actors. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have understood that in order to be creative, the first thing that's required is to let go. Right and just go and see, and deal with the fact that you're probably gonna fail, you don't really know enough, but you're gonna go and have a fiddle and see what happens. Mm. And so they put themselves in the way of realizations all the time by having a go, like a child does. By not saying, oh, I can't do that, I'm not that sort of person, I don't have those skills, they just go, ah, and they go. Yeah, right. And so they then learn that, oh, wait a second, if I practice that physical skill and I can do this and this and then suddenly I can do this and this. And oh, look, then this other thing happens.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's it. It's incremental. It's not sudden. It's not genius-like. It doesn't emerge fully formed from the ether. You and, get there.
0: And that's the fact for even big artists because yep. they have been dabbling with so many different things and something that they, you know, progressively explored and become better and better and better at it. Yeah. And, like, indeed, like, I can so relate to what you're saying right now, because, like, I was, like, brought up to be, like, you need to be an engineer, and then you need to do, like, have this career. And when I wanted to be a speaker or a poet, I was like, oh, my God, I'm challenging the social rules, like, I'm good. I'm, like, good for nothing, because, okay, I, I'm doing fairly well at all of these things, but maybe I'll be not genius, yeah. on any one topic but that is something that the society is yeah
1: but what does an engineer do
0: actually create a uh, smart ways to do right things. they solve
1: problems That's They creative. create. hello
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: you know so <laughs> it's it's no coincidence that you wanted to i mean you chose poetry which possibly most people wouldn't sit but it makes sense right you solve problems every day you're in that mindset right. why not Solve linguistic problems, meaning problems by using poetry. Right. It's related. Mm -hmm. So creativity is not... It's not music. It's not poetry. It's not acting. Mm -hmm. It's not entrepreneurship. It's not invention. What it is, is a, uh, a mental state, a thought process. And what happens is that we take content and we stick it in. Right. And then we use skills on what comes out to make a thing. Right. So to think about creativity as being discipline or content related is a fundamental mistake.
0: Wow. It's
1: a process.
0: Wow. It's
1: a way of doing things. Yeah. So if you are an engineer, you're gonna take measurements and dimensions and weights and materials and you're gonna shove it into the creativity sausage machine and you're gonna get designs out, right. solutions. If you're a poet, you're going to take words and feelings and emotions and you're going to shove that into the... Su- and you're going to get poetry out. Right. And so on and so on and so on. What you put in will determine what you get out. Wow! It's got nothing to do with what comes out.
0: Right. Wow. Wow. How how did... That's a very beautiful... Uh, I would say feminine and masculine way to put out what creativity is because we normally tend to associate it with, uh, you know, feminine qualities. What made you, uh, like, like, come to this conclusion to be creative? Like, I also want to know what's your, like, one of the most accomplished creativities. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it's a weird fun kind of... I think my openness to it
0: mm-hmm.
1: is a function of my sometimes problematically uh, independent mindset. Right. Um, as the youngest of five kids, I grew up on my own. Yeah. I was very much left to my own devices. Everyone was busy with their own stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: I got on with it, which meant I had to do a whole bunch of stuff on my own that probably is not entirely healthy for a very small child to be doing on their own. Right. But, what I realized was that if I acted in certain ways, I got certain results. Right. So I'm actually an introvert, and I was a very shy child, a really? very quiet one. But I learned that if I behaved as if I was confident, I would get the same rewards as confident people.
0: Mm. So you started taking So faking. I started presenting as yeah. that.
1: And okay. as soon as you get that kind of pushback where you present a certain way and then you get the rewards for it, then you become that yeah and so I've never done anything that I've been qualified to do I've always just gone well give it a go
0: what's the worst that could happen
1: I'm not going to die and I've just done and and, and so that's kind of been the story of my life I've always just opportunities have come up and I've gone oh well I'll give it a go yeah I can see
0: that because like right from being a musician yourself to a band manager to like totally leaving South Africa and suddenly moving to London and then here and like settling here. And you have also been uh, coaching and also teaching like languages. And also I know that here and also now talking about creativity. I think that's like very uh, like uh, your inner child is very evident. Yes. (laughs) It's very (laughs) sometimes too evident. (laughs) Um. Which is good. Which is good. We need more of you.
1: But I'm glad you brought up child because... You know, play and creativity are very closely related. Right. Because when you play, what is the goal? What's the reward?
0: To have fun.
1: Right. I mean, there isn't really one, right? It's the thing itself.
0: Yeah, that's it. Right.
1: So that's a very important mindset. And it's a very different one that we take typically into work related stuff.
0: Like be serious.
1: There's a purpose. There's a goal. There's a KPI. There's a (laughs) ROI. There's a...
0: (laughs) Oh my God. Choose
1: your freaking three-letter acronym. Play there is not,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is why play is so creative. Right. Because with no prejudgment, you step into the space and you see what emerges and then you react on that and you run with it. But not so strongly that you'd say it has to go here now. You run with it until something else emerges and then you yeah. change and then you go and then you go and that's fun. Right. That's when you start to hit what uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi calls flow, optimal experience. Mm otherwise known as happiness, loosely. When you're operating just beyond the limits of what you think your capacity is and pretty much succeeding, you lose track of time and amazing stuff happens. Wow. When you follow the rules, when you stick within what you know, when you play it safe and you go from black to white, from one to two, from A to B, you never enter that state of mind. And of course you're not creative.
0: Wow. I just love that and suddenly i'm getting even goosebumps listening to that because that's so liberating to hear from an expert and like who has like proven it again and again
1: well i mean (laughs) i'm quoting other people's research here but i mean if you want to dive into this stuff books by people like david Eagleman, the the Mm. neuroscientist um you know carol dweck's book mindset Mm. is from a creativity perspective is a a mind bomb of, 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 of mm. note. Um, and even Seth Godin's got a brilliant uh, book about creativity. I mean, there has actually... A huge amount of research has been done into what creativity is and how it functions. But most right. of us just don't even know that because, no, no, creativity is for those genius weirdos over there, not for me.
0: Right. So, can you always be in a flow state? Are you always in a flow state, David? No, I
1: don't think you can always be. No. Um, I don't think you want to always be. No. Um, but
0: it sounds like I always want to be like in yeah, this.
1: <laughs> I think what's what is important though is that if when you hone your skills to the extent that you can step beyond your limits at will, it also means you can enter flow at will. Yeah. Which means you can control your own happiness. Right. And I think that's a really important thing. I mean. I'm a very rebellious person. I always Mm. have been. Mm. And the whole idea of discipline and structure and routine, I have always fought against. Mm -hmm. Because I never understood until fairly recently what structure and discipline and routine give you when you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. It sets you free. You know, when Ronaldo runs onto the football pitch and does these incredible moves, he's not thinking. No. He doesn't have to because he's done it over and over and over again, and he is superbly fit.
0: Right.
1: So that in the moment, all he's thinking is, I want to do that. Right. And his body knows how to do that. And
0: that is his flow state.
1: And that is his flow state. He's just going for the solution, he's not thinking of the process. <laughs> and that's what happens with creativity as well. That's why most artists can't tell you how they did what they did.
0: Wow. Like, that's so, like, you know, paradoxical also, right? You need routine and structure and discipline to be creative and enter that flow state. Yep. You need to like hone your skills. Or so like, your blade
1: needs to be so sharp that yeah. when inspiration hits, you can make what appears to be magic. Right. I may get the same inspiration as Picasso, but because I'm not a painting master, technically speaking, what right. I paint looks like a third grade kiddies dabble. Mm -hmm. and he makes cubism. Right. That's the difference. Not the idea, Mm
0: -hmm. not
1: the inspiration, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the execution. Right. Because everybody has ideas. (laughs) They're they're overrated as a currency. Right. What is underrated is the ability to act on those ideas to actually do stuff.
0: Right. Wow. So, what's your idea and uh, what's that skill or that creative area that you're honing to but so that when inspiration hits you or whenever you enter in flow state you want to act on it
1: well I mean that's one of the reasons I went back to poetry after, after many years of not really okay. writing on a regular basis um, you know I'm, I'm 51 I'll be 52 this year and
0: uh, you don't look like
1: no <laughs> you're very kind But logically speaking, I've got less years ahead of me than I have behind me. Mm -hmm. So if I want to go anywhere with anything, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to start anything new.
0: Right.
1: It makes a lot more sense to take whatever foundations I have in the way of skills and aptitudes and to fine tune those. Mm -hmm. And if I look at my life, the things I have done the most are write and speak and be on stage in some capacity or other. So it made absolute sense for me to distill that down into, well, creativity, speaking. Yeah. But continuing to be creative and what have I done way more than play guitar badly? Written poetry badly. So it's poetry. Right. Um, and that so that's kind of been my strategy after kind of really figuring out a little bit too late that I, I had bought into all of these myths I was pointing to, like bought into them To a self-limiting degree.
0: Right
1: now, I'm kind of going, okay, what have I got? What's on the table? What am I doubling down on now? Because there isn't, I don't have the luxury of another ten thousand hours. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, We can debate the merits of that another day. Um,
0: Yes, I want to. to, to, But like, yeah,
1: (laughs) you know, to get to, to get to a point where I appear to be that much better than everyone around me.
0: Right. So now course you're dabbling with many things but like now what you want to like keep on practicing as a skill is your speaking speaking yeah
1: the ability to through time on stage have a meaningful impact on the lives of an audience yeah yeah
0: that's like that's beautiful and uh also like i think what you're doing through the creativity um like expertise that's like, that's mind blowing for, I think, a lot of even nerds, because they would say like, oh, like, I'm not cool because like.
1: <laughs> no, but think about this. This is hilarious. if Picture in your mind, your average IT geek guy, the guy yeah. kind of a bit of a programmer, a bit of a high uh, uh, hardware guy. What does yeah. he look like? Because it's, yeah. it's mainly a he, unfortunately, still to this day. Yeah, yeah, He's true. probably got long hair. Probably wears black t-shirts a lot. Yeah. Quite likely actually even has black nail polish on. (laughs) So he's probably some shade of a heavy metal fan and almost certainly plays bass guitar or electric guitar to some technical extreme.
0: That's uncannily true. Right.
1: (laughs) Why? Because programming and solving problems every day in IT is hugely creative.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And so that means they're also capable of doing the math right. of technical metal music. Right. right. And they're also isolated, so they emotionally relate to metal, and, 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 and.
0: Wow. It's,
1: it's logic. There's it's nothing romantic or crazy or weird about it at all.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, all computer
1: programming nerds who happen to be watching this. <laughs> that was broadly stereotypical and uh, ableist <laughs> or whatever.
0: No. I, I, like... We get the thing that it's like um, more on what's like trending in the mar- market, right? Like, the, at least I'm in the tech uh, industry, and what you said does relate to me. Although I'm not, I don't wear black nail polish, <laughs> by the way. I'm wearing orange. So. Very nationalistic uh, <laughs> of you. Yeah, I realized that. It was unknowingly creative. <laughs> Okay, so um, that's beautiful. And you also mentioned, like, I think one of the other topics that you also wanted to talk about is like daily habits. Mm-hmm. But like you already yeah, kind you of... It, you can see why. Yeah, the, the it, it's all related. Like, yeah. because you mentioned that uh, basically our habits define us to others and not what we really think about us. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a scary thought, right? Yeah. So what I mean by that is, is that is that Say that you are a vegetarian.
0: Yeah.
1: And then that next week you stop being a vegetarian.
0: Yeah.
1: How will your friends react to that? They'll have an opinion. Yeah. They'll say, that's not like you. That's not you. What are you doing? What's going on here? Yeah. Because their notion of who you are includes your dietary habits. Mm. It also includes your Vocabulary habits, your way of, your habitual way of expressing yourself, the habits you have when you walk, what you do with your hands, all of this, for them, defines who you are because mm. they do not have access to what's actually going on inside your head because we don't have that capacity as human beings. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you change any of those external-facing or presenting routine activities, otherwise known as habits, Mm-hmm. To all intents and purposes, for the rest of the world, you have changed.
0: Wow. <laughs> like, that's a mind-blowing way to think of it also. as like, So what do you mean is that what I actually do as an action on day-to-day is more important than what I am actually thinking about?
1: In terms of, the, of what happens outside there in the world, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, which is not to say that I discount the power of thought. I do not. But if that power of thought does not end up in action yeah. to all intents and purposes, it has no impact.
0: And no like value or representation of you in your personality. Even.
1: Right. So you tend to then be taken at the value of what you do present out in the world to mm. other people, not on what is going on inside.
0: Yeah. And uh, for example, in that matter if I say that I'm a vegetarian and I end up going with friends and always eating chicken or fish or all these things, that would also create an inconsistent personality of mine because my friends would think that, oh, she claims to be vegetarian, but she's not. right? Which is also like representative of like, like these are like very small things, uh, but like in bigger terms like that, hey, I am... um, I uh, am it, like I have integrity, or like one of my values is honesty. Yeah. And then in front of you, you know. Exactly. Lie. You say <laughs>
1: you do this, but then you do that. It's like, hmm, that's not very yeah. Integrous. Yeah. Or honest, even. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's also hugely liberate liberating because what it means is that if you can acquire a new habit, you can. To a certain degree change who you are or ex- at least who you are perceived to be
0: mm-hmm. right so what's that one habit that you changed like what's what's your top uh like habit that at least i can see
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i i I must say, my my habits tend to go in cycles, but for me, and and right now I'm not doing this, but for me, Mm. the biggest thing that I changed, which took me from a wannabe writer to being a published writer, Mm. was actually setting a time and getting up at the same time every day and actually writing. Mm. So I went from being somebody who had always been told by teachers and mentors that, wow, you can really write, you're really good, this is blah, 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 Mm. but I'd never published anything, well, I had been a journalist, hmm. but people were always talking about my creative writing hmm. with those co- compliments, to being a person who within the space of three years had published three books hmm. because I changed from being someone who had the capacity for being a good writer to somebody who wrote every day Right. by getting up and putting in an hour every morning, Monday to Friday, every week.
0: And that made you feel and also like be, and I see you as a published author.
1: Well, what it did do is very Pavlovian. You know, mm. um, bell rings, dog drools,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Get up this time, sit in this chair. Right. Yeah. So until that physical habit is embedded, and there's contradicting research on how long that takes, but say two to four weeks, Right. after that... You don't have to think, I need to get up and write. You just get up and you sit down and your brain comes online and you pick up where you left off. Right. Stephen King, in his very illuminating book on writing, talks about this Right. because that's what he does. He sits in the same chair for the same amount of hours every day for the period of months that he writes. Mm -hmm. And he literally says in his book, bum hits chair, writing braid comes on. (laughs) Words to that effect. (laughs) Um, beautiful. And that's what I changed. So I wrote... a poem a day for 18 months, which turned into my first poetry book. I then published a collection of short stories. And then I published my one, two, one, two, the guide to the South African music industry. And while I was doing that, I also wrote a 250,000 word novel, which no one will ever publish. Um, But I did it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that all took place in a five-year period. Right.
0: That's when I was,
1: already i mean that was from the end of my 30s 38 to like 43 Mm. and i had been talking about wanting to be a writer as in a published author since i was
0: 10. wow and that was
1: the first time that i came close to being it right because i just went habits i'm not talking about this anymore i'm not waiting anymore i'm not waiting for someone to give me permission i give myself permission i'm gonna do this And then when I had the stuff, when I had the body of work, it was just a matter Mm. of finding someone who wanted it. Right. Okay, which is not a small matter.
0: Hmm.
1: But when you have a body of work, you are two years ahead or twenty light years ahead of just about everybody else who says they want to be a writer. Because they're also just saying it, they're not doing Doing it. Doing it. So I made a writing habit. Right. And then once the poetry book was out. I decided that I was going to turn some of my own poems into songs that I had written, and I was going to gig them as another way of selling more books. Right. So I played guitar for an hour every day for six months, mm-hmm. until I was good enough to actually sit on stage and not make terrible mistakes every 30 seconds, and actually play a gig of half an hour with my own poetry.
0: Right. Wow.
1: And I was able to. Okay. I mean, yes, I did know how to play guitar before that, but I'd never been solo. I'd never written the songs myself, <laughs> and I did it
0: wow oh, that's that's very interesting and I'm like again being a poet, I'm again getting curious back to like right now, are you still writing poems? No no no
1: i'm don't have the mental bandwidth no. But I'm okay with that because the other thing I've observed over my life is that I do run in quite long cycles with poetry.
0: Yeah.
1: I tend to be productive with poetry for anywhere between 18 months and three years and then I battle to write a word for anything up to three years again. Yeah. Um, And I just come out of a massively productive couple of cycles.
0: Multiple flow states. Yeah. So now you feel like okay, it's fine.
1: And my whole life has changed.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: my whole experience of life changed. My situation has changed, literally, physically, emotionally, um, and I I feel like I'm very much in the. Absorption phase, and I haven't right. got to the point of where I can now start to synthesize yeah. and produce. Yeah,
0: because I was curious to know that if, like, I asked you because I was curious to know that if you were writing now, what were you writing about? Yeah, because that's like a totally different phase altogether, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've started trying to write. Yeah, um, I mean, I've written a few poems in the last few yeah. months. Of course, I have, but I mean, I'm I'm not writing.
0: No, like,
1: and it's it's just I'm very aware that I'm. Repeating myself a lot, so that's also what's stopping me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like ah, but I've done this before, and I'm not. I haven't found a thing where I've gone like ah, ooh, okay. That that was inspiration
0: interesting. hits you, or, yeah. or like, you know,
1: because yeah. what I've noticed is that the, what happens for me is I write a huge amount, and then I go into this fallow period, and then <laughs> somewhere along the line, I start a new. <laughs> But something's happened to my style, to my voice, to my technique. Mm. And everything, when I start in a new period, it's different. It feels right. different to me. I'm doing something different with language or my approach. Or I, mm. I, I, that, that's,
0: that. I think that's the experience with every creative output that you have. You become a little bit more polished. In well, your hopefully that's version. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel so as well. Like every time I write something, I feel like I'm getting better about it. Because, like you know, you know yourself a mm. little bit more, and then you also are okay to not do it for a while, so yeah. that the inspiration hits you. That was very beautiful, uh, and I think, like, um, like, I'm very much inspired by all your uh, like, uh, you know, very useful suggestions. And I think inspiration did hit me today. <laughs> Good, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, I wanted to close with something else, which is totally different fun, like mm. apart from like poetry and creativity, but I think a lot creative <laughs> as well. Uh, I always like end my podcast with a round of uh, real questions. Yes. So this will be some around 10 questions that I'm going to randomly ask. And these are the same set of questions that I ask to all my podcast guests just to see like, you know, the various you know, diversity uh, and celebrate it as well. Yeah. So nothing is to be like, you know, uh, f- get fixated upon. Yes. So I just wanted to like know your opinion on certain topics. And it's these are many times actually one-liners.
1: Cool. Hit me.
0: And yeah, I am not going to like give, uh, I would say, other... Um, like, answer you back, or like if uh my counter response to it, so so feel free with whatever you feel like, All right. and uh, yeah, let's do that. cool mm. so here's my first question: white men rule
1: white men rule I put that in the past tense, white men ruled,
0: hmm. not anymore. Sorry. (laughs) Um, The future is cryptocurrency.
1: The future is cryptocurrency. Jeez. Floated a fair amount of money into that idea after the entire meltdown that's just happened and the fact that it's still rolling on and that actually some of the platforms are just ceasing to exist. I'm doubtful. However, my mantra is that once a new piece of technology enters a marketplace, the old business model gets destroyed. I don't think there's any putting of the genie back into the bottle. So yes, the future is cryptocurrency.
0: Mm-hmm. Porn is healthy. Say again. Born is healthy.
1: Healthy. <laughs> porn
0: is healthy. Healthy.
1: Consensual porn is healthy. I think the porn industry is predicated on a large amount of exploitation of extremely vulnerable people, which is problematic. Mm. The question is who is porn being made for and why and by who? Mm. So I don't have problem with porn per se, I have a problem with some of how the porn industry is run. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Emotions are weakness.
1: No, uh, bollocks.
0: <laughs> uh parents fuck up their kids no matter what
1: we're only human and i'm <laughs> god i ugh, don't even want to know what my kids are going to grow up with in regards <laughs> to hangups ups or whatever because of how i am who i am they don't come with a manual hmm. so
0: black Lives matters movement made me more aware of reality
1: Definitely. I mean, you know, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. I'm a white, middle-class, middle-aged male. I'm the definition of white privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, As politically as aware as I liked to think of myself, the discourse that's come out of Black Lives Matter and the granular detail about the black lived experience versus what mine is Mm
0: -hmm.
1: has shifted my perspective quite radically. I'm quite a lot more aggressively aware of the issues and a lot less tolerant of my own kind's blindness in that regard. it's definitely shifted my perspective
0: mm. okay uh maybe let's go for the last one then like it's a hard one to choose <laughs> to go for um let's go for this uh, caregiving is an underpaid industry caregiving Whew.
1: I want to ask a clarifying question hmm. what do you include under caregiving education yeah right yes
0: teachers nurses yeah
1: we value all the wrong things in this world I mean if the, if the pandemic taught us that anything it's that I mean hmm. you, without delivery guys hmm. you know Western civilization as we know it would have crumbled. Hmm. Uh, And how much do those poor suckers get paid? Hmm. Who's responsible for the future of our kids, and how much do they get paid? It's insane. It's actually it's massively cognitively dissonant, and the fact that we appear to be comfortable with it is worrying.
0: I can't agree more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And on that note, thank you so much, David. It was.